to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. We read these incredible verses. says his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So we're going to unpack what Paul is talking about in those verses. It's interesting to, for, well for us it's fun actually looking out of our window we can see crane after crane after crane with that little red light on it as they're constructing all along the Thames and thousands and thousands and thousands of apartments that are being built. I don't know if you get excited, you know, when a piece of land gets cleared mm. and you wonder what's going to be built there. And I love it when they put a glass screen so that you can look through the glass screen and just get a view of this thing being built. And you wonder what it's going to look like, who it's going to be for, is it going to be good architecture, <laughs> is it going to be exciting? And there's something great about seeing buildings getting built. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And these verses give us a kind of glimpse through the screen, as it were, at what Jesus is building in the earth, so that we can get excited about what his end goal is, what his blueprint is, And we can get excited about the fact that we are part of that great building, that great church that he is building in the earth. That Jesus is building his church. That means that you and me as living stones have incredible significance in the earth. We're going to unpack that. Jesus wants to show us off and make known to rulers and authorities, principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. We are so significant on the earth, but we are so significant as well in the heavenly realms. And it's like this morning Jesus wants to lift our heads to see how truly amazing and how truly significant and how incredibly privileged we are to be part of his church. Church Ecclesia means called out ones, that we're being called out by name, personally called out to belong to his church. And he wants to lift our heads to get a glimpse of his big picture, his huge picture, and how we fit into that. How you and I, in our lives, in our jobs, in our families, in our leisure in the whole of who we are and all that we do, how that fits into Jesus' huge, huge purpose for the church. Don't you realise you have a calling upon your life and we have a calling as a local church that stretches our imagination. That it's more than we can ask and it's more than we can imagine. He says if you can pray it, it's even bigger. (laughs) And I want us to get a glimpse of the cosmic significance of the church, how absolutely hugely significant we are. That the church, this, this church and the universal church, that's the church in the whole earth, all the Christian believers, we are the hope of the whole world. 
often if you realise that, that what you carry, you are the hope of the world. You and me, believer in Christ, part of his church, you are the hope of the world. That when we see uh, issues like violence and crime and hatred and division and brokenness, we carry in Christ the solutions to every single problem on planet Earth. The church is the hope of the world. And we can love charities and we can love men and women with a real social justice heart and, and we can value government. But none of those institutions and none of those people can say, I am the hope of the world. The church can legitimately say, we are the hope of the world. Because we have been entrusted with a unique message. No one else has this message. No, no other institution, no person, no charity, no government carries this message. That God so loved the world. Yeah, yeah, that, that God has yeah, dealt yeah. with sin. That God has dealt with everything that separates us from the glory of God. That God in Christ has done everything needed for us to know complete forgiveness, freedom of condemnation, adopting his sons, inheritance from heaven. Only we are entrusted with this message. No one else has this message. No one else has a message that can come to someone and say, I have a message that can turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. That can give you a soft, soft heart for God. I have a message that can cause you to be full of joy, full of peace, full of life, full of freedom. No one else has that message. No one else in the whole earth, apart from the believer, has been entrusted with that message of hope to the earth. We have a unique message and we have a unique identity. No one else apart from the believer in Jesus Christ can say, I am an adopted son or daughter of God. It's only through Christ that we are unique. Jesus said that himself. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one else has that message. There can be morally good men and women of all the spectrum of faith. They might even outstrip the Christian in virtuous living. But only the Christian can say, I am a child of God. No one else has that message. No one else has that message. It's important that we're bold and confident in a pluralistic age that says all the roads lead to heaven, everything comes to God, everything works itself out in the end. That's not true. Only Jesus Christ can save. Only Jesus Christ and his life, death and resurrection can cleanse your conscience from sin. Only his finished work at the cross can bring you home. So we have this unique message and we have this unique identity we are sons and daughters of the king. We are his beloved. We are the apple of his eye. He delights over the church and over you and me with singing and dancing. We are unique. And actually, we want to bring that message to the world because his message to the world is, I love you too. I want to sing, I sing and dance over you too. I rejoice over you too. You too are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's just you don't know it yet. So it's a unique message that is not an exclusivity that we're a holy huddle just waiting to get by until we die. 
We have a unique message to a world that says, I so love the world. Christ came and gave himself for the nations. It was God's heart to have an inheritance of all the nations, of all people groups. So we have this unique message that says, we know how to get home. And he wants everybody to come home. And he wants everybody to be part of his family. So our mission is to serve this region. Our mission is to serve this region, this community, this area. Our mission is to bring the light of the gospel where there's darkness. That's our mission. Where there's darkness to bring light. Where there's darkness to bring a revelation of the light, the glorious one who has shone on us as we heard in the worship. To bring a revelation to them, there is light for darkness. To switch on the light. Or as our daughter used to say, can you switch off the darkness? <laughs> no, you can't switch off the darkness, you need to switch on the light. Yeah. You switch on the light, the darkness goes immediately. The light has no power over the darkness, the light overcomes the darkness. But the church needs to shine in a dark world and be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. So we're a unique people with a unique message to serve a, an area, to bring light where there's darkness to all people. See, we're a church, that we're not a bunker church. Do you know what a bunker church is? It's a church that hides away from the world, hoping not to be contaminated by the world and hoping not to sin. We're, no, we're a new creation people, a victory over sin. That means we can go into all circumstances and situations with wisdom and we can switch on the light and bring transformation and bring a message of hope to people. So we're not a bunker church. Our great goal and mission in life is not to come to church on Sunday and just to hope to get through the week without sinning so next week we can come back. Now that's not our goal and our mission. Our goal and our mission is to be light into darkness and life where there's death. To proclaim the resurrection and the life. To bring life where there's death into every situation. To bring flavour where it's flavourless. To be the salt, to be the preservative, but also to be the flavour of the world. People came to Jesus because Jesus was the best person to have a party with. He was fun to be with. Jesus is the most amazing person ever because he could, he could stand up for righteousness and at the same time be attractive to all sinners. Amen. Amazing person. He could party with people whilst not condoning everything and yet them feeling the acceptance of God and the love of God. So you have stories, don't you, of the woman who is crying and her tears are falling on Jesus' feet and she's drying his feet with her hair because she has been forgiven much and loves much. We find Mary going to the tomb of Jesus. It says Mary, who it says seven demons have been cast out of, going to the tomb and being one of the first people to proclaim the resurrection of God from the dead. Because Jesus was a friend of sinners. And friend of sinners was not a compliment. It was an insult. Being called the friend of sinners was not a compliment. It was an insult. It meant, you, you, Rabbi, you're associating with the wicked in such a way it looks like you are the worst of sinners. And actually Jesus, though tempted in every way, was never sinful and never sinned. So our mission then is to be light where there's darkness and to be life where there's death and to be the flavour of heaven in a tasteless world. But then Paul in these verses says, I want to tell you that it's even bigger than that. That you are the light of the world, but you're also the light of the cosmos. You're the light of the world, you're the hope of the world, 
You're to bring life where there's death and light where there's darkness and flavour where it's flavourless. But I also want you to know that you, church, are showing off the wisdom of God to principalities, powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He says his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold, the various um, colours the, 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 of, of wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's who we are. We're going to unpack that now. So this verse summons our minds beyond flesh and blood and beyond the people around us and summons our minds to see that the church has an invisible audience too. That being church is showing off the wisdom of God. In other words, the church is showing off that salvation works. That wisdom is seen in the fact that it works. That the church is showing off the finished work of the cross to supernatural beings. There was an audience this morning. We were worshipping together. We are together, flesh and blood. There was an angelic audience. The hosts of heaven were here. There's also a... um, a, a, a demonic audience, a principalities and powers audience, a ruler's audience in the heavenly realms who are also looking on at the church. We can live with a... We, you guys from, from loads of nations, but one of the challenges for Western Europeans is this. We have a rational mindset that we only believe in what we can touch and we only believe in what we can see. Other nations... You understand more clearly that there's an invisible realm that impacts this realm. You get that more than we do. But we live with a materialistic view, not in the sense we love possessions, and that can be a part of materialism, but that we only trust what we can see, what we can touch, and what we can control. And Paul is saying that the church is not just the hope of the world, it's also showing off the wisdom, the working of God, the salvation of God, to principalities and powers who are looking on at the church and seeing it work. And so these... And we need, because as a church, we, we, we're not really running around binding, loosing and shouting at the devil, okay? We don't do that. Because we believe that actually the greatest thing we can do is take a thought captive, demolish strongholds by the renewing of our mind and believe in God. So we're much more belief-focused than devil-focused. So our guns tend to be much more focused inwards at our own unbelief than it is around looking for a demon under every bush. But Paul is saying, he doesn't want us to be... Paul is saying here, but you also need to be aware that we're in a, in a, in a spiritual arena. And so it's the two. We're demolishing strongholds with with weapons that have divine power, Paul says in Corinthians, that have the power to demolish um, um, pretensions and arguments and lofty ideas that set themselves up against God. So we do um, become transformed and metamorphosized by the renewing of our minds, but it's also true that we're living out this renewing of our minds and realizing what Christ has done in a spiritual arena. And that these um, spirits, these demonic things, these rulers, these principalities that are in areas, are actually intent upon the destruction of people. I just want us to know that. The kind of, I'm, not, I'm not saying this because we're scared, because we're showing off the wisdom of God to principalities and powers who actually intention 
is to confuse people and to hurt people and to create negative influence in this area. And so you can walk along Plumpton High Street as we do when we go treasure hunting and you can cross a certain road and the atmosphere changes immediately and it becomes more oppressive, more negative and more hopeless. In fact, on Friday treasure hunting, Rochelle crossed this and she felt the sense of the shackles that were on people, the binding on their wrists and on their neck, could feel it oppressively when we crossed a road and went into a certain area. When we crossed and went back into another area, it was gone. That's because we stepped into a, a, a place where actually these rulers, these authorities, are influencing the, the, influence the atmosphere with a negative message of hopelessness, control and domination of people. Okay, so we're living in, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. Now this is what Paul is saying in this message, because otherwise we could feel, oh, that makes me scared. No, 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 that's just told us what the war is. That's just given us an insight that moment on Friday, okay, so that's the battle, is it? This area of our high street is controlled like that. Okay, now we know. We know something now. Now we can pray more intelligently. We are now informed about what's going on here. One of the influences in this area could be um, <coughs> hopelessness or it won't work in Plumstead. It can be, that can be a negative stronghold of an area saying it will never work here. Actually, that's a broadcast that's coming from the heavenly realm to cause um, believers to lose hope and faith and expectation. Heard the story about a pastor, and I guess it's a made-up story. On his desk on year one, it said, Our mission is to save the world. Five years later, he changed the thing on his desk and said, Our mission is to see one or two people saved. And then after 15 years... He changed the message, our, me- our message is just to survive. Mm-hmm. See, these, we're not in a battle against flesh and blood. That story, I guess it's a made up story, was uh, I've got expectation for the earth and now I've got expectation just to get through. Because his battle is not against flesh and blood. But these um, spiritual um, beings <coughs> intent on people's destruction... When they see the manifold wisdom of God made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms by the church, the demonic, that realm, shudders when believers actually start believing. When believers start realising their identity. Now that realm looks on at the manifold wisdom of God, sees it working out in practice and begins to shudder. So our spiritual warfare then is this. It's not to scream and shout at the heavenlies. It's not to run around binding and loosing everything. Our spiritual warfare then is to be aware that we're in this arena. But by being the church and being the people that God made us to be. And being the church that Christ died to create. We actually make known to the heavenly realms the victory of the cross 
And actually, we have the capacity to shift atmosphere. You see, there's a difference between people walking along a high street and thinking, oh, I've just crossed a road and now I feel more annoyed and frustrated. I feel agitated and enslaved. That's someone who is ignorant to what's going on. The same people, though, walking along, realising it's not about flesh and blood, it's not about people... Our war is not against principal. War is against principalities and powers and their schemes. Walking into that area, thinking, "I'm picking up something here," and then beginning to, as Rochelle did on Friday, release things around and start to say, "Let these people have revelation of Jesus. Let people have revelation of Jesus in dreams. Come and meet with them. Come and encounter them. Come and let the love of God come to them." The demonic realm shudders when believing believers start to believe and start to take action in line with what they say they believe. That's the war. The war is not to huddle in church screaming at the ceiling. No, the war is won by believing believers who begin to take risk on the basis of what they say they believe. That's how wars are won. It's a beautiful moment on Friday where we got a chance to pray with a guy who has had tendonitis since January. The clue that we were after was someone with a foot boot. He let us, he was a wonderful guy, let us pray with him. He took his foot boot off and we were able to pray for his tendons. It's all bound up and bandaged up, able to put it back on again. We don't know what happened there, but something has to happen when we pray and when we invite Jesus into a situation. And, and Rochelle said as we walked away, this a young man came out of a shop and came and approached the older man that we'd been on the, kneeling on the floor praying for his feet. It was like something happened, that we honoured an older generation. We, we were moved to pray and say, what if, what if Jesus turns up now? And it touched someone else who sees that and comes out and recognising that an elder in the community has been honoured by some Western Europeans. It did something because it broke, it broke this unity and it broke something because we're saying actually we're going for the nations that Jesus has won the nations that God wants all people one new man in Christ and we're going for it and we're believing for it and we're believing that Jesus is the healer it's the church becoming the church that we make known to heavenly realms the victory of the cross by rejoicing in our salvation by believing that the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience by living free men and women no longer bound by legalism or performance or comparison or treadmills of of trying to impress God who's already in love with you and very impressed with Jesus very impressed with what Jesus has done and so you're in Christ and he's very impressed with you and (coughs) loves you that we show off the effectiveness and the efficiency of the blood by believing that the blood cleanses us from all sin that's how we demonstrate both to, 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 to the world and to principalities and powers, the effectiveness of the cross. It says here in chapter 4, that it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then in verse 1, I urge you to live in, in your life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. This is where the victory comes from 25,000 feet, realising we're witnessing to the cosmos, right down to earth, loving one another, bearing with one another in love, humility and kindness and gentleness and patience. That's a spiritual warfare battle in that. When we realise, I'm not at war with flesh and blood. 
This is about principalities and powers. So I'm going to love and I'm going to give myself completely to God because we're going to show off the wisdom of God to the world and to the cosmos by being the people that he made us to be. So being, being is warfare. Being is warfare. Being church is warfare. Being the beloved is warfare. Trusting the identity that he has given you and beginning to take baby steps and crossing the chicken line and risking faith, that's warfare. That's how we shift atmosphere. That's how we bring transformation. We bring it by being the opposite, opposite spirit to what we pick up around us. If we pick up that we live in a poor area with a poverty spirit, we say, I want to be radically generous. And radically generous doesn't mean that you necessarily have lots of money to give away. It means when a new person moves in next door, you bake them a cake and show them, welcome to the area. It breaks something down. So we're not struggling against flesh and blood. It says in chapter 6, let's read that little bit. In chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God. Jesus Christ is the full armour of God, okay? And remember that Paul is writing to a church, a family, a people. It's not about us individually putting on the full armour of God. In Christ, we've put on Christ. So put on the full armour of God. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Rather, translation says wiles. He's got schemes. He's got plans to try and stop the church being the church. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, to be church and to be all that Jesus died to create, Paul is saying that is actually taking place in a context of, of spiritual warfare. And we win the war by the renewing of our minds and tearing down strongholds. And we win the war by not being unaware that this realm has schemes to try and stop the church being the church. And so if we're, we're, we're soldiers... And we're sons and daughters. And we're called to be the, the light of the world. To bring life where there's death. And flavour where it's flavourless. And be the hope of the whole world. Yeah? To transform SCAT. God said if you want it you can have it. How do we get it? <coughs> through understanding our identity. That we're sons and daughters. Through understanding the victory of the cross. That Jesus has already triumphed over all these things. That our job is the mop up operation to actually apply the finished work. And we also do it by being aware that there is a realm that has schemes and wiles to stop us being the church. And one of those schemes is this. There is a war, there is a scheme, and it's a scheme against connection in the body. One of the great wars in our day is individualism. It's one of the great schemes of, of the enemy. That if he can promote disconnection from believer to believer, if he can convince people that it's okay just to be you and God, 
If he convinces people that it doesn't really matter about connecting to anybody else as long as it's all is well with my soul, he has actually won a, a great victory in stopping the church being the church that shows off the manifold wisdom to principalities and powers. Because having lots of believers scattered, isolated, individuals who are just wrestling with accusation and and wrestling on their own, being ineffective, that's a great victory. What he doesn't want is a whole body of people who give themselves to family, being vibrant family and covenant. That scares him. So it scares him the idea of believer after believer after believer saying... I'll take a bullet for this family. We only showcase God and only show him off together. Now we do it individually. That's true. We do it individually. We can do that in the bus. We can do that in the supermarket. You can do that as the only believer in your family. But the whole of the New Testament was written to a people. Every letter is written to a whole community who would have read these letters out together. So individualism, dear friends, is a war against God's original design. And it's a scheme of the enemy. That he knows that if every believer understands that they're a son and daughter, that if every believer recognises that they are deeply loved... If every believer understands that the blood of Christ has cleansed their conscience, if every believer understands that they are free from condemnation, and if every believer understands that they carry something from God to bring strength to one another, he knows that that is a very, very dangerous thing for a church to get. And so it says in Ephesians 4 that we, we, he talks about from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You matter. Mm. You finding out who you are in Christ matters. You understanding what you carry in Christ matters. When you're not here, something is missing. (coughs) A brick in the wall is not in place. We need to know that you are so wonderfully needed and who you are in Christ is so wonderfully significant. We're members of one another. See, I think in in London, this is really, we we were thinking about this ourselves. We used to lead a church in, we're part of a leadership of a team in Lowestoft, um, east coast of England, 90,000 people. And we were the only charismatic church really in our town, unless you travelled 27 miles north or 43 miles south. You just had to get on with it. I'm just going to say this because I... Because it's important to say... And I'm not putting any guilt on anybody. There is such a need for our day of men and women to say, 
I'm part of this family. And I'm talking about this great churches all around. I love Wes and the Slade. I love Phillips and Johns. I, I love Jonathan Louise on Thamesmead. I love what Hillsongs are doing in the earth. I, 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 love, I love what Kensington Temple is doing. I love what Holy Trinity Brompton is doing. But there's a need for each believer to say, I know where I'm heading. I know what I've been called to, and I know where I'm heading. That you might say, I'm a believer who needs... I'm heading north. And so you think, actually, Holy Trinity Brompton, they're heading north too. So I'm going to be part of that. Or Hillsongs, they're heading north. Our our vision and mission could be said, we're heading south. That's what we're going to be doing. We want to be a vibrant family of hopeful believers who are so transformed by the presence, love, and power of God that we overflow the reality of his kingdom in our daily lives. That's the journey we're on. And we're all at different stages of that journey of overflowing, of trusting God, of understanding our identity, of becoming believing believers that believe. We're all at different places of getting hope and joy. But that's the journey we're on. And so, dear friends, what I want to say to you is we're not going to be on any other journey. And I'm not saying that to, to push you away. I'm just saying that to put a stake in the ground. That's all we're going to be. And my prayer is for every believer is that you, you would be knitted in. I trust here. I trust into this family. I trust into this mission to bring it as it is in heaven on earth to this community. My, my desire for every believer is that wherever they land, that you would know who you are in Christ and that you know you carry gifts and your gifts are flowing from member to member to member so that you are a supporting ligament in a local church community because the church cannot be the church without everybody playing their part. Amen. Amen. Danny Silk puts it like this. He says, some churches can fall into this trap. They're like restaurants. And they're so busy putting on the right menu. Got to get the customers in. Got to get the customers in. Got to get the customers in. What do the customers want? Well, they want this and this and this. Because they want to gather a crowd and keep everybody happy. This, this isn't a mission to keep everybody happy. <laughs> Being in a church that sings for an hour isn't going to keep everybody happy. <laughs> there are strategies you can use that you can grow quicker. But, you, but we believe that God's called us to be that because we love his presence and we love his love. And in his presence, we meet with him and we encounter his power and we realize who we are. That's who we are. That personal happiness is through dedication to a cause that's greater than yourself. That the greatest happiness comes... When you say, this life is actually not about me. And though he loves me, it's actually about the cause of Christ in the whole earth. And that personal happiness also comes, to a, comes through surrender to a person other than yourselves. You've got caught up with a king. I don't know, we don't always realise it at the beginning. We feel his love, we feel his kindness, we feel his forgiveness, and then he says, you're part now of my family, and we're going global, we're going cosmic. And we wake up to that bit by bit by bit. 
This has taken us six years. This is not just flung together in a year. This is wrestling with where does hope and joy come from? Hope and joy come from believing. And that joy and hope are marks of faith. That it's un- it would be strange to be believing believers who are miserable. Because to say you believe in God who loves you as a wonderful father and then you're going to live forever on a new heaven and a new earth. If that doesn't make you feel happy, you see, then we have to say, why am I not happy about it? It's because I'm not really believing it. It's just mental assent. It needs to become heart knowledge. And so we're members of one another. And that our jobs and our home life and our leisure and our church involvement fit into the cosmic significance of the church. We're part of something that is ginormous. Huge, unimaginable. So we give our time and our energy and our emotion and our finances because we're part of something that is for the whole universe to look on at. That's who we are, that's who we're growing to be. Because we want to be more than a church that sings free songs, hears some nice words, and says, last one out, switch the lights off, and I hope we've got enough money to pay the electricity bill. <laughs> we're more, we've got to be more than that in our minds. Yeah. We're growing into it. We are the hope of the world. Amen. We are the hope of the world. If the church doesn't understand that we have a unique message and a unique identity for the benefit of people who yet... To hear, then, 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 dear friends, the world is in worse condition than ever. That Christ died and no one gets to hear. Our part fits the big picture. So the greatest incentive for you to give yourself to local church is vision. Is to see the magnitude and the grandeur of Jesus' invitation to each and every one of us. We're the hope of the world. We're displaying wisdom to the cosmos. Principalities and powers are looking on and they quake when they see you and me become fully convinced and fully persuaded. In just to close, be kind and be gentle with yourself. Read the story of Abraham. Abraham didn't get it all at once. Jesus, he he got shown the nations. He got shown the sand on the shore. He got shown the stars on the ground, in the sky. And and God said, so shall your offspring be. I'm going to bless the nations through your seed, which we know from Galatians is Christ. At first, he didn't get it. He heard it and didn't get it. He even made a mistake and had Ishmael because he tried to make it happen without God. And even when God said to him, next time, this time next year, you'll have a son, even then Sarah laughed and he didn't believe it. And then in Romans 4, it says, in faith, let's read it as we finish. In Romans chapter (coughs) 4, it says this in verse 18, against all hope, in other words, it was impossible, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
without weakening. That's heaven's assessment. Actually, if you read the Old Testament, there was a lot of weakening. But God, in his assessment, saw his faith and counted it as righteousness. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Just advice to stand. See, we're all, we're all on a journey like Abraham with that vision, yeah? All of us, all of us are on a journey of becoming fully convinced and fully persuaded. And we're all learning against all hope in hope to believe God. We're all learning how to be able to look at our own deadness in our lives and our own barrenness in our lives and yet say, in hope, against all hope, without wavering in unbelief, I trust that God has the power to do in me what he has promised to do. And that's the journey of step after step after step, of trusting God, of being really kind with yourself and really gentle with yourself when you don't get it, when you're filled with doubts, when you're struggling with your own deadness. And can this dead body really be part of a body that is the hope of the whole world and to the whole cosmos? And yet you say, God overcome my unbelief and cause me to be a believing believer who actually believes and and cause me to understand that it's not just about me that I'm called into something that is much bigger than me to surrender to a person who's greater than me and a cause that is bigger than me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this great commission upon us. We thank you for this call to be the hope of a whole region. We thank you that principalities and powers look on and quake and see rejoicing believers, hope-filled believers, loving believers, gentle believers, kind believers who just reveal the goodness of God and the finished work of the cross by the way they live. Thank you that we we shift atmospheres just by being, that being is warfare, and we thank you for that. I pray for each and every person here that in their life they would know that they carry gifts and callings and anointings from God, that God has placed them in the body, that life would flow from member to member to member. We break the lie that you're insignificant. We break the lie that you're invisible. We break the lie that you're not needed. We break the lie that says, if I don't go, I won't be missed. Heaven says you will be missed. We say you are missed when you're not here because there's a brick in the wall that's missing. Every one of us are significant in the body. We pray even right now, God, for new dedication to the cause of Jesus Christ in the earth. We pray for even right now for a dedication to be the feet that bring good news to men and women. How will they know unless someone goes to tell them that he loves them? How will they know unless we break up a bit of our lives and give them something to eat? And show them that he is good. How will they know unless they look into the eyes of somebody who actually believes that Jesus can heal now on the street in this moment? They've got to see it in our eyes that we believe this stuff. I just pray as well that you get people off the treadmill of legalism and performance. And just really rest in the gospel in your name Lord Jesus. I pray as well for radical surrender in our heart. That we would find the great happiness and source of delight in trusting Christ and who Christ is for us. Amen.